Blog Talk Radio.
my friends. Imagine standing at a crossroads where every path seems shrouded in mystery and uncertainty. You feel the weight of choices, each path promising different outcomes and experiences. It's in such moments that the cry of our hearts echoes the plea of the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 133. Direct my steps by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. This profound verse isn't just a request. It's an admission of our need for divine guidance in the maze of life. Now, if you believe that God can make a difference in your life today, let us stand together in faith. I will pray a fervent prayer with you in the mighty name of Jesus. So watch until the end and open your hearts to receive the blessings of this prayer. We live in a world where our steps can easily veer off into paths of distraction or danger. The choices we make, the roads we take, the relationships we nurture, and the values we hold dear all require wisdom that transcends our limited understanding. In the Bible, the notion of steps often symbolizes our life's journey. It reminds us that life is not static, but a series of movements and decisions. And in this journey, we are not alone. We have a guide who promises to lead us through his word. Reflect on your life for a moment. Think about the times you felt lost, unsure of which direction to take. Remember the moments of decision, big or small, that shaped the course of your journey. At times, the way ahead may have seemed clear, illuminated by the light of your understanding. But how often have we found ourselves at a dead end, or worse, on a perilous path, simply because we trusted in our wisdom? This is why our hearts echo the psalmist's prayer. Guide my steps. It's a prayer of humility, acknowledging that we don't have all the answers. It's a prayer of faith, trusting that God, who sees the end from the beginning, will guide us. It's a prayer of surrender, yielding our will and desires to his perfect plan. When we invite God to direct our steps, we are not giving up our freedom. Rather, we are exercising the highest form of freedom, choosing to walk in the light of his wisdom and love. Now, consider the second part of the verse, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. This is crucial. Our journey is not just about finding the right path, but also about walking in righteousness. It's a recognition that our choices are not morally neutral. They can lead us either towards or away from the path of integrity and purity. Asking God to guide our steps is also a plea for him to protect us from the influence of sin and wrongdoing that can so easily entangle us. In our journey through life, there are many voices clamoring for our attention. Voices of society, culture, personal ambition, and even our desires. These voices can sometimes drown out the still, small voice of God leading us astray. 
But when we earnestly seek God's guidance, He promises to lead us. As Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6 reminds us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. This is a promise of divine direction and intervention. But how does God guide us? He guides us through His Word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, as Psalm 119 verse 105 declares. He guides us through the inner prompting of the Holy Spirit, who speaks to our hearts and minds, guiding us into all truth as affirmed in John 16 verse 13. He also guides us through wise counsel from others, through circumstances, and through the peace that comes from making decisions aligned with His will. Embracing God's guidance requires us to let go of our desire to control every aspect of our lives. It means trusting that even when the path seems uncertain or challenging, God is working out His perfect plan for us. It's about believing that He knows what is best for us and is capable of leading us to our destiny. This trust doesn't come easy, but it's a journey worth embarking on. As we navigate through the complexities of life, let us remember that our steps are ordered by the Lord, as Psalm 37 verse 23 tells us. When we commit our way to the Lord, He will establish our steps. This doesn't mean we won't face challenges or make mistakes, but it does mean that we can rest in the assurance that God is with us every step of the way, guiding, correcting, and leading us towards His purpose for our lives. So, today, as we stand at the crossroads of life, let's make a conscious decision to ask God to guide our steps. Let's pray with sincerity and open our hearts to His leading and also be willing to follow wherever He guides. In doing so, we will find that our paths become clearer, our decisions wiser, and our lives more aligned with His perfect will. Now, to all those within the sound of my voice, let us go to the Lord in prayer. I want you to pray this prayer with me so that you can have all the blessings of this prayer. You may also listen to this prayer daily as you build your faith and come in agreement. Let us pray to our gracious and loving God. Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, I come before you with a heart full of praise. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who guides the stars and directs our steps. Your majesty and power are beyond our understanding, yet you care for us deeply. I thank you, Lord, for your unending love, your grace, and the countless blessings you bestow upon us each day. Your goodness and mercy follow us, and for this, I am eternally grateful. Thank you, Father, for the gift of life, for the air I breathe, and for the love I experience from you and those around me. In this moment of prayer, 
I humbly ask for your forgiveness for my sins. Forgive me, Lord, for the times I have strayed from your path. As I seek your forgiveness, I also forgive those who have wronged me, releasing any bitterness and resentment in my heart. Cleanse me, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Lord, as I step into this new day, I pray for divine direction in all that I do. Guide my thoughts, decisions, and actions according to your will. Help me to recognize your voice leading me and grant me the wisdom to understand the plans you have for me. May your word be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, illuminating every step I take. Protect me, O God, from missteps that lead away from your will. I rebuke any plans of the enemy to cause confusion or to lead me astray. In the name of Jesus, I declare that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Shield me from harm and keep me on the path of righteousness so that I may walk in your truth and integrity. Lord, I pray for strength and courage, especially in times of trial and uncertainty. When challenges arise, remind me that you are my rock and fortress. I declare in the name of Jesus that I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. In every difficult situation, grant me the fortitude to endure and the faith to trust in your unfailing love and power. I ask for clarity of purpose, O Lord. Reveal to me the unique path you have set for my life. Let my actions and choices reflect the calling you have placed upon me. In the name of Jesus, I declare that my life is aligned with your divine purpose, and I am walking in the destiny you have ordained for me. Gracious Lord, teach me obedience and surrender as I seek to understand your will. Help me to submit my will to yours, knowing that your plans are higher than mine. In every decision, let me seek your face and follow your guidance. I bind any spirit of rebellion or pride in the name of Jesus, and I declare a heart that is receptive to your leading. Guide me in my relationships, Father. Bless my interactions with others and help me to build connections that honor you. I pray for wisdom in my dealings and for the ability to show your love and grace in all my relationships. I declare that my relationships are guided by your love and wisdom, bringing glory to your name. Grant me peace and decision-making, Lord. In moments of uncertainty, fill me with your tranquility, ensuring that my choices align with your will. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke any spirit of anxiety and confusion. I declare that in every decision, your peace reigns in my heart, guiding me to make choices that honor you. I pray for trust in your timing, Almighty God. Help me to be patient as I wait for your guidance, knowing that you make all things beautiful in your time. I rebuke any spirit of impatience or frustration in the name of Jesus. 
I declare that I will wait on you with faith and confidence, trusting in your perfect timing for every aspect of my life. Empower me with courage to follow your lead, Lord. Even when the path is unfamiliar or challenging, strengthen my resolve to walk in faith. I declare in the name of Jesus that I am fearless in pursuing the direction you have for me. I rebuke any spirit of fear or hesitation and claim boldness and confidence in following your call. I pray for my loved ones, Lord. May your blessings, guidance, and protection be upon them as well. Let them experience your love and grace in their lives. I declare that they too are walking in your divine purpose and are shielded by your mighty hand. Lord, as I say this prayer, together with everyone listening, I am grateful for every heart that is humbled before you right now. We come in agreement as we pray for each other, knowing that you are in our midst as you promised. We claim victory in your name, declare healing for those in need, and thank you for your protection and guidance. Together, we ask for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit to guide us and strengthen us in our daily walk with you. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering my prayer. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, amen. If you were blessed by this prayer, type the word amen in the comment section below. I declare that all the blessings of this prayer are now upon you in the name of Jesus. You can help us to reach more persons and spread the gospel. You can do this by sharing the video with a friend or family member and by clicking the like button. Also remember to subscribe to our channel Daily Jesus Prayers for more videos that will bless your heart and uplift your spirit. We appreciate all your support. You're blessed to be a blessing. Please feel free to leave your prayer request in the comment section so that we can present them before God. Everybody on earth needs to see this testimony. That's what the number one comment on this video says. Now, I know a lot of people aren't going to watch this video because it's a long video, but just give it a shot. Give it a shot. See what the Spirit is saying to you as you watch this testimony, because I even tried to make this video shorter. And as I was watching the testimony, I was like, wow, there's just, I, I just, I can't leave that out. I can't leave these things out. So I'm just going to show you this entire testimony. Get some coffee, get some tea, whatever you need. I got my tea ready. You know, fold some laundry, go walk your dog, do the dishes, clean the house, do something, put this on, uh, you know, in the background, in your earphones, whatever you got to do, but just give it a shot. All right. Because as I was watching it, it was really speaking to my spirit, and I pray that it does the same thing for y'all, all right? So the title of this uh, testimony, it says, A Call to Repentance Through a Testimony, Jesus is Coming Back, all right? Let's get into it.
Let me start by giving you a little bit of background. I come from Uganda. Uganda is found, is found in Africa, East Africa, just be, between Kenya and Congo. Kenya on the east, Congo on the west, Sudan on the north, and Tanzania on the south. Our nation has known a lot of turmoil in the last few years. Let me say since independence. We got independence in 1962. And by 1966, we had a, the first overthrow of the government, and then everything went on, one thing leading to another. Then Idi Amin came in 1971 and was like one of the biggest dictators and tyrannical leaders in Africa. Then he went in 1979, and we had another leader called Milton Obote. And uh, he ruled also under, with a civil war going on in the country. Idi Amin had torture chambers, took everybody who was educated, who was rich, and who was renowned, and he tried to kill everybody. So those who survived had to flee the country. But when Milton Obote came, there was insurrection, there was popular uprising against him. So what he did. He tried what is called a scorched earth policy, that is to wipe away the people in a particular area and try to empty it and bring other people to occupy. So there was a lot of blood, bloodletting in the country. People were internally displaced into camps where they became refugees within their own countries, their own country, and a lot of suffering. I grew up under these two clouds. I remember when Idi Amin came to power, I still remember the day, it was 1971 and I was just nine years old. And so throughout his years, the eight years of his reign, I was just growing to my teenage. He was overthrown in 1979, 1980, Milton Obote came on and civil war started for the next five years. So all throughout my teenage, that was the kind of surrounding that I was growing in. Later on, Milton Obote was overthrown, and we had a government that began to bring healing to the land. And at that time, I had just entered into ministry. I was serving as an evangelist in one ministry, and uh, I was assigned to go to the, the area that was called Luero Triangle. It was a, a combination of three big districts where the war had been taking place. And during the time as we were ministering, there were skeletons and skulls and bones, human bones, all over. Some were piled by the roadside for display. Others, you, when you entered the, the jungles, the bush, you just stumble upon bones and bones. The place which we used as a church uh, was a community center building that was not finished. And to use it, we had to carry, I mean, like... 80 skulls, human skulls, remove them and put them in one room. And then the bones, we put them in another room to be able to clear the hall. And then we used it as a church. This was the kind of background in which we were serving. But I want to give you a little bit of background before. I'm going to try not to say too much, but he said they had to, as they were evangelizing, they would be going you know, from house to house or person to person on the street. And there would be piles of bodies and skulls and skeletons 
just towering on the side of the roads. And I, it's just crazy because we think that we're actually going through something in, in the United States. But these other countries are actually really going through stuff. And they're still standing firm on Christ. And they're still being disciples and going out and sharing the gospel. He said the community, the community center that they would preach out of and, and use for ministry, they would have to literally move skulls out of the way and, and human bones out of the way in order to set up camp so that they can do their ministry. But we're concerned about a little bit of traffic on, on the way to church. We're concerned about when it rains, when it's cold, when it's too hot. But you have these people who are literally going through death in order to preach the gospel. I'm going to try not to say too much, but that really just touched me right there. I come to the visitation of the Lord. In 1987, when I gave my life to ministry, I gave up my job to enter full-time ministry. And I just felt deep in my heart that God is calling me to go preach the gospel. I somehow had a sense, I will go to the nations and I'll take the word of God to the nations. But as I was still working, I was working in an import and export company. The Lord began to speak to me and say, I want you to live and walk by faith. I want you to trust nothing. I want you to depend on nothing, not even your own strength, your own wisdom, or your own understanding. I want you to give it all to me and live by faith. But my understanding of what living by faith was, was very narrow. I thought he wanted me to give up my job and that he would take care of me financially, which I did. I went and resigned from my job. I was working as an executive director of the company. I gave it up and I went into pastoring. But he kept speaking to me and said, I want you to live by faith, which means you've got to give me everything and take everything I give you. And I didn't know that concept of faith, and I'll come back to that later. But I was pastoring this church for about, it was a new church we had just started, and I stayed there as a pastor for about eight months. I loved the people. It was a small congregation, about 40 people. We had to get a new patch of land, find poles, try and put up a shelter and I did everything with them and I loved it. I was getting so fond of each of them. Then one night as I slept I had a dream and this dream came again a second time and then a third time and in the dream someone was telling me you need to go back it was outside our city Kampala so he said you need to go back to Kampala because the Lord has got work for you and the first time I had it, I woke up and I felt, that, not, that cannot be God. He brought me here. I'm just starting this work and I believe to develop this work and the church is going to grow. And I have committed myself. I'm going to be here. But the dream came again the second time. Then came a third time. And it was a Saturday night. So Sunday morning, I'll go to church. And a brother from the church, like the one that sent me to this place, comes to visit and he prays with us we have lunch with him and then he said John I had a dream and I shared with the pastor and he told me to come and share with you but please don't mistake me it's not from my own desire I just want to tell you what I got I said tell me I said 
I had a dream and someone was telling me, go to Gaza where John is and take over the work that he's doing because I want him back here. I said, please don't misunderstand me. It's not just. But I said, I know, I understand what you're saying. I had a similar dream. I told him my dream. And then we went together to Kampala and shared with our pastor. I said, pastor, give me about three months to prepare the people and hand over, which he did. But when I was going back to Kampala, the Lord spoke to me again in a dream and said, when you go to Kampala, don't get busy. I want you to spend time in the Word, reading the Scriptures, praying and worshipping. That's all I want you to do. Don't even teach, don't preach, don't get busy in other things. I said, okay, Lord. I told my pastor, and many times he accepted, but many times he would forget and tell me, John, we are going together to do the evangelism. And I said, but pastor, remember the Lord said this. I said, okay, if you're not going, can you stay and take over the service while we are gone? I said, but the Lord told me not even to preach. So sometimes we got some misunderstanding like that. But he was a good man. He is a good man. So he tolerated me. <laughs> And the Lord had told me, I'm going to bring people around you. Take them, love them, and give them everything I'm going to teach you. Because I'm preparing you for a great work that I have for you. I didn't know at that time what kind of work it was, be. it was going to be. I thought it was going to be an assignment I would go and do and finish and come back. I didn't know that he was preparing me to step into the ministry he was calling me to. He brought about eight people around me. And we began to pray. We did nothing except wake up in the morning, be in prayer for about two hours, then be in the Word of God, then would go, take a break of about two hours, come back, be in the Word of God, spend about three hours in worship. And then that was our day. We just kept going from morning to evening, deep in the night, around midnight, we would go to bed. We did that for two months. One day, a lady came to my pastor. She came from a village in this was all turns on and she said to my pastor we had a church planted a year ago in my area 300 people got saved and became part of the church but right now all of them are backslidden there's only the pastor his wife and one member three people can you come and help us to replant restart the church and my pastor called me and said John will you go with her and find out exactly what is on the ground. I said, but pastor, the Lord told me. And said, okay, 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 I'll get somebody else to go. But when I went to my team, as we were praying, the Spirit of God said to me, this is what I've been preparing you for. I want you to go back to the pastor and said, you will go. So I went back. I didn't know what it was. Um, he sent me, I went to that place, I got there, it was a village like any other, nothing abnormal, nothing extraordinary. But what intrigued me is how can a church be started with 300 people, down one year it has three people remaining. And these people have not migrated elsewhere, they are still in the area, they've just backslid, they are all over, you find them in the village. So we walked around and in the night I prayed on my knees and said, God, what is responsible for this church's fall? It's no use starting another church if the problem has not been removed. 
what caused this church to fall? I prayed and after I, was, I slept. I, we slept in the same room with the pastor. At night I had a vision. And I will not go into the details of that vision. But the Lord showed me the church where it was. And there were people praising and worshipping and having a really good time. Then I saw if the forces of darkness rising up out of the big forest and begin to move around like a whirlwind and eventually came and struck the church. And I saw people's bodies being cut and flown all directions. And the Spirit of God said to me, there is a, the power, the principality that reigns in this area is responsible for what you saw happen to the church. The church had no understanding at all of the spiritual powers they are fighting against. And neither did they have root in the word. Mm. They had a wonderful worship and praise, but they had no root in the word. And they couldn't stand up against the power of darkness. Wow. And the Lord said to me, there are so many of my people laboring without fruit in the field. Because they are not rising up to use the authority they have to overcome the powers of darkness in their territory. I have brought you here. I'm going to teach you how to break open territories, to break the grip of darkness that the kingdom may thrive in the area. But you've got to humble yourself and learn step by step. I woke up and told my, fr my friends, and we started praying even deeper, even longer, even more focused. God began to open our eyes. We began to see things in the spiritual realm. We began to see powers of darkness. And as we went and dealt with them, we saw people getting healed, getting delivered. We saw the high priest of darkness in, who was controlling the powers of darkness in that particular area. The Lord showed him to us. And we began to put him on the altar before the Lord in prayer. In about a week, he gave his life to the Lord Jesus. And praise to the Lord. And he opened up like a Pandora box because he was controlling so much spiritual power in the area. So he, when he came to the Lord, it just broke so many uh, sorcerers and witches. Some of them had to migrate and leave. Others came and gave their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the whole place opened up. A new church was planted and it had more than 200 people. In the beginning then the Lord sent us to the next city where again we had a lot of experiences I'm not going to we had we were, we were shot at at close range and the Lord just protected us person shot at us less than 10 meters away and the bullet was stopped in a papyrus reed just between 8 10 meters the next day we were arrested and taken to police and said you have guns and you have and the Lord had warned us we were going to be arrested. So we were ready for it. When they put us inside, we preached to the, the prisoners. They gave their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And we came out. And the army came to investigate and they discovered the bullet. So they said, no, this was not a bullet shot from inside the house. It was shot into the house. So they set us free and we preached the gospel. We planted the church. And then we moved on to the next city. We were supposed to plant three churches. Now in that next city, that's where things began to happen. It was our way to go in like two 
like a month in advance, do a lot of prayer, spiritual mapping, deal with the powers of darkness, then we'd prepare a crusade, and our pastor would come and do the crusade with us, and then plant the church. As I said, because of this new approach the Lord was teaching us to deal with the forces that are holding territories captive, as we're dealing with them, we're seeing territories open up, we're seeing captives being set free, we're seeing people delivered and healed even without our praying for them. The Lord would visit people in their homes in the night and they would be healed. They come in the morning and say, I want to give my life to the Lord. So we were seeing so many of these things and we were very excited. Some people would come and say, you know, I went to this pastor, I went to this crusade, I went to this, and I was not healed. But just as you came in, I was healed and we just felt so good. <laughs> then we went to this new place and were preparing for the crusade. And uh, we were getting a lot of vis visions showing us the powers of darkness that we were dealing with. This was one of the worst areas because that's where we had to clear the skulls and the skeletons. We would hear voices speaking in the night or even in the hall where we were doing the meetings. Strange voices and we just had to go into spiritual fear bind and just go ahead and with the meetings. And things were working out wonderfully. Then we began getting, every time we'd come to pray, we would get someone say, I got this scripture, I got this vision, I got this word, I had this. And all of them were consistently speaking to us to repent and to walk straight with the Lord and to take away our hypocrisy, to take away our lack of sincerity. And I was disturbed. I said, there must be someone here who is not walking right. Because... God is working with us, it's wonderfully moving forward, and yet He's bringing this word. So I would sit everybody down. We had about 12 people by the time, and I would say, please, everybody examine yourself. That went on for about a week. Then one day, it was um, a Monday, I was away going to visit with some new believers. When I came back, one of the sisters called me and said, John, I was praying. And I had a vision. I saw myself walking on a long straight path. And I was so tired I wanted to turn back. Then I saw someone dressed in white glittering robe. And he came and said, be, be of good courage. You are on the right track. Keep going and you will get where you are supposed to get. Mm. But permit me to ask you to go back where you left John. And take him this letter. And he gave her an envelope. And in her vision, she turned and looked at the envelope. Like you would look at the name on the envelope. But instead of a name, there was a scripture. And she came out of the vision. So she came and brought me this, this message. And the scripture was in Jeremiah chapter 7. I would like us to read that together. Jeremiah chapter 7 from verse 2 to verse 11. I'm, I'm going to read it slowly and I hope you'll follow. It says, Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. 
reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place do not trust in deceptive words and say this is the temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord if you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly if you do not oppress the alien and the fatherless and the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm <coughs> then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave to your forefathers forever and ever but look you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury and burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we are safe safe to do all these things these detestable things has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you but I have been watching declares the Lord now <clears throat> it's one thing to find a good scripture and read it it's another thing when the Lord sends you his word wow. I was under heavy heavy conviction but I was saying what did I do that, I've, that is different? I, I couldn't find anything that I had done in my life or allowed in my life that was different or inconsistent with my normal life. And I was convinced that in my normal life I'm walking right with the Lord. So I called the team and I said we really, really need to deal with this today. We need to examine our hearts. We need to come open if possible let's confess to one another because the Lord is definitely speaking to us now I couldn't put the works of miracles and signs and wonders that God was doing through our hands and the visions and the revelations he was giving us in sync with this kind of word and message that he was coming constantly calling us to repentance and to come back to him somehow I didn't see how they connect so I really used some stronger language than usual and tried to make it clear really we cannot go on like this you've got to pull your act together so everybody felt like trembling we went to bed that night I used to wake up around 4 a.m. to pray I got up I tried to pray and I couldn't pray my heart was like it's closed it was cold and hard and closed. I couldn't bring prayer out of my heart, however much I tried. Even when I persisted, it felt like the door was closed before me. It felt like there was a door closed before me. I couldn't get into the presence of the Lord. I tried to worship. It didn't work. At five, everybody woke up and we joined together. They went into worship, deep, rich worship. I was there cold. I couldn't worship. I couldn't even find joy in singing to the Lord. And I was like that for the next two hours. They, they didn't seem to have a problem. But I had a problem. When it all ended, I thought, is God closing me out? What is the meaning of this? I called the other sister who brought me the scripture and I said, look, since you brought me that scripture, I've not had peace. And now I can't pray. 
can you explain more to me how you got the scripture? But she didn't have any more to explain. So I left them preparing breakfast. I went away. I tried to walk and pray. I tried everything. I came back and hadn't had any success yet. So we had breakfast. Then we were supposed to go to preach the gospel house to house. I said to them, you go, I will remain. Normally I would be the one to lead the team. But I stayed behind. And I said, you go. Today I'm the one to stay behind and pray. We always left someone to pray for the team. So I stayed supposedly to pray, although I couldn't pray. So when they left, I took my Bibles, about four different Bibles, and my concordance, went out and sat on a veranda of the next house that was, it was very close to ours. And I sat there and I began to say, God, I hunger for you. Please, let me, let me connect with you. Give me access. Why do you deny me? What is wrong? Is there anything I've done that has gone wrong? I can't think of anything. I can't think of what has gone wrong. Please, I was pleading like that. Then suddenly something happened. Something came over me. My whole body shuddered. And I felt like somebody came and sat right on my left hand. I could feel the, the clothes brushing against me. But there was nobody. And then a strong compulsion came upon my heart to open my Bible. It was like, quickly, you need to open your Bible now to the book of Romans chapter 1. And I just want to share with you as clearly as I can, but I can't describe because it, it was like someone was there saying, you are asking to understand? Open the Bible. Do it now. And I opened the Bible in Romans chapter 1 verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. But since the creation of the world, God is invisible quality, qualities. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For though they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor Ooh. gave thanks to Him. But their right. thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became Ooh. fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, I was completely confused. I was thinking, God, are you saying this to me? Or are you giving me a message to preach? What is this? I felt there is a great seriousness about this. That God is seriously trying to communicate. But who is he trying to talk to? Are you trying to talk to me? Or are you giving me something I'm supposed to deliver or preach? First of all, let me tell you. At that time, we had started this church, but... The people in the village were very, very blasphemous. We were constantly preaching the gospel. Every day would go out. But they would speak insults. They would take the name of God and speak vanities around it. We would go out in open air meetings where we would take a drum and sing. And people would gather around us as if to listen. But they would be hurling insults 
against the name of the Lord and making ridicule of us. So it was really very hard to go out, but we just were stepped out by faith and said, God, we will go. Humanly, we would have chosen to stay. So when this word was coming, I thought, okay, Lord, are you giving me a word to say to them? What are you trying to do? But in deep, deep inside, my conscience was saying, the word is for you. You, personally. But so I, I said, God, if you are talking to me, make it clear. Let it be clear. And again, that was like a wave come upon me. And I knew, go to your Bible, chapter 1, verse 28 to 32. And it says, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Mm. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, this is what happened to me. I could look into that list, and I could not say, none of those things is in my life. I could spot a number of things that says, okay, yes, I know that, 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 that is my life. But then I said, but every day before I go to bed, I get on my knees and I confess these sins. I confess them and I tell you to forgive me. I cannot believe that you are, that God would rebuke me for that. Because he says when we confess our sins, it's faithful to forgive us. Now, I'm mentioning this. I want you to connect it with something else that I mentioned earlier when he said, I want you to live by faith. And I'll connect it later again. But I was saying, God, if you really are saying this to me, please be specific. What did I do out of the ordinary? What is it that I've done? Maybe I didn't even notice it. I could feel the anger of the Lord. I could feel the displeasure of the Lord. My whole being was like trembling but I didn't know what to repent of so as I was still trying to reason it out again that wave came over me and the scripture fell on my heart Romans chapter 2 verse 1 to 5 and it says you therefore have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge the other you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? But because of your stubbornness, and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. 
I have to confess to you, at that moment my whole being was gripped with fear. I thought, God, whatever is wrong is big. But I don't even know what it is. I know you are very, very displeased with me, but I don't understand. I continued reading, and it goes on to say, God, verse 6, God will give each person according to what he has done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and for the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and to the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. I sat there and I was thinking, God, I don't know what to do now. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what I've done. I, I know something is wrong, but I don't know what it is. And I sat there wondering, I wish you would tell me something. I wish you could make it clearer. And as I was doing that, that wave came over me again. And said, Romans chapter 2, verse 17 to 24. And it says, Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, and if you know His will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are the guide of the blind, the light for those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of the knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Mm. You who preach against stealing, do you steal? Mm. You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Mm. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Mm. As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Mm. Now, I am sure you cannot connect with my heart what happened when I read that last statement. I told you the people were blasphemous. They would say things and your body would cring against the name of the Lord. But when I read this, and saying to me, you who preach to others, can't you preach to yourself? You would teach others, can't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, you steal. Not to do this and you do it. Then last it says, as it is written, the name of the Lord is being blasphemed because of you. And it came so personal. It was like everything you see there, everything they are doing, they are saying against the name of the Lord, it's because of you. It's because of the way you live. It's because of the way you walk. And not only that, it is written about you. My whole being wanted to scream. And I, I couldn't go on. I closed the Bible and said, God, I don't know what to do. But at that time, the team came back from the evangelism. And I called this sister who started it all. <laughs> 
I said, come with me. She came and we went down into the, the banana plantation. And I said, help me. Since morning, I can't pray. When I try to ask the Lord, this is what? I mean, he shows me he's very displeased with me. I don't know even how to repent. I don't know how to bring repentance. Can you help me? Come and pray with me. She said, okay, but what have you done? What has gone wrong? I said, I don't know. She said, but how can we repent for something you don't know? I said, but God is very displeased with me. Then she said, tell me, how do you know he's displeased? How did you find out what exactly happened? So I had to tell her everything as I've been going through it. Now as I was speaking to her, I could see fear come upon her face. Her eyes were going big and she was sort of trembling. And as I walked through it and came to this last statement, she screamed. And she began to cry to God and said, God, have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me. I'm a sinner. Please have mercy. She was not praying for me. She was praying for herself. <laughs> Later on, she said to me, I thought you were trying to communicate to me in a roundabout way. Everything you were saying was piercing my heart. And I thought you couldn't speak to me directly, so you thought you tried to do it through a roundabout way which was not true in a way but when she screamed like that something gave way in my heart and suddenly I felt I could pray so we got into prayer and I cried I repented everything I could think about I said God I repent of this I repent of this and I think it took about an hour then I started feeling the Bible says he is true when we confess our sins. It's true to forgive us. I started thanking God. I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you. But I didn't feel peace. And I didn't feel anything lifting. I didn't feel like I've dealt with the issue. Now, let me just drop this. I was trying to deal with an act. And he was trying to deal with my ways. Mm. He was not dealing with something I have done. He was still dealing with how I walk. Wow. And I thought my walk was okay. So he was not trying to say, you did this, repent of it. Uh, let me give you an example. Saul and David, they both had the same kind of background. They were tenders of animals. They were both called to be kings and prophets. They were both anointed by the same prophet, Samuel. They both sinned against God. They both confessed their sin. David was forgiven. Saul was rejected. Wow. What was the difference between these two men? If you look at the life of Saul, the first time the Lord said to him through the prophet, prepare an offering. I'll come tomorrow and give the offering. The prophet delayed a little bit. But because the people were scattering, for the sake of the people, Saul emboldened his heart and gave the sacrifice. Whereas he was not supposed to. As soon as he finished, prophet Samuel came. And he said, what have you done? The Lord would have confirmed the kingdom in your household. But now, 
he has taken it away to another man. <laughs> what was his problem? He said, the people were scattering and leaving me. So I emboldened myself and gave the sacrifice. The people. The next time the Lord sent him on a mission, it is to kill the Amalekites. And he went on the mission. He didn't, he didn't disobey. He came back. But the Lord said to Samuel, I repent that I sent him. I repent that I even made him king. Look what he has done. When Samuel comes to Saul, Saul says, I have done the mission of the Lord. Samuel says, but what about this mowing of cattle and bleating of sheep that I'm hearing? He says, oh, the people. The people wanted to bring them back. Mm. So I allowed them. Mm. Samuel says, is sacrifice better than obedience? Wow. Because they were going to give sacrifice to God. He says, is sacrifice better than obedience? Later on, Saul says, I, I wronged the Lord and I wronged you. I feared the people. The people. Do you realize Saul lived his life before the people? He did things because of the people. And he confessed and said, I have wronged God. I have done evil. Please go with me now to worship the Lord. And Samuel said, I will not go with you. So Samuel turned to leave him and Saul took hold of his garment and it tore. When it tore, Samuel turns around and says, even as the garment has, tore, has been torn, the kingdom has been torn from your hands. What did Saul say? He said, hey, I have sinned against God and I have sinned against you, but give me some respect before the people. Wow. Honor me before the people. Even in that moment of brokenness, his heart was more concerned about his appearance before the people. Wow. Samuel went with him. But from that day, he never went back. He prayed for him daily until God mm. said, how long will you pray for a man I've rejected? Mm. But David sinned also. He committed adultery, then he killed the man, then he hid it all, and Nathan came and confronted him. And David passed judgment and said, that man needs to die. And Nathan says, you are the man. And he said, oh, I have sinned against God. And Nathan says, the Lord has forgiven you. What was the difference? It is not so much about the act, it is the way. David, the Bible says, his heart was he had a heart after the, the Lord's heart. His way was after the Lord. He fell like any other man could fall. But, that, but his way was desiring all his life to live for the Lord. And that's a big difference. That's what the Lord was confronting in my life. He was not confronting an act. He was confronting my way. He was calling me out of my ways into his way. I was serving him. I was seeing people getting saved. I was seeing churches being planted. I was seeing people healed and delivered. But God was saying, I want you to come out of your ways into my way. That's what living by faith is. You remember when they say to him, what shall we do that we may walk the works God requires? He said, this is the work God requires. Believe 
on him who was sent. When we believe on Jesus, what happens? We believe that our lives are futile, are hopeless, a vanity. We are condemned to death. We give up our lives to him to receive his life. And from that moment we speak like Paul, I am crucified with him and I no longer live. The life that I live is no longer mine. The life I live is of Christ. And I live it by the faith of Christ. This is what the Lord was calling me to say. Stop living in your human ways. Stop living in your human wisdom. In your human effort. In your human will. Drop that. Die to that that you may live to me. Get on, take on my life. Let your mind be convinced your old life is given up you can no longer live for yourself you know the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord compels us that one died for all therefore all died and because all died they can no longer live for themselves but they can only live for him who died and rose again for them and it says every now whoever comes into Christ Jesus has become a new creation the old has passed away behold everything has become new and that new identity is from God who has reconciled us unto himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that Christ, that the Father was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world unto himself and he has given us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors as though the Father was imploring the world through us to be reconciled to him. He was calling for an identity change to come away from my human ways, my identity, my ability, my effort, my wisdom, and to lay down all of that, to come and take on that life that came from heaven. It came into the world. It had a mission. It didn't come to make money. It didn't come to make a name. It didn't come to make an impact of human fame or prestige. It came for a mission. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. He did not send him into the world to condemn the world. But that the world may be saved through him. Mm. He was calling me to live his life. His identity. His cause. His mission. To give up my ambitions, my dreams, my desires, my rights. That I may take on his. And I may therefore lay claim upon the inheritance that is in his name. The identity that is in his name. That's what he meant. Believe on him who was sent. That's the work of the Lord. And I had never connected the two. Wow. So that, that day as he spoke to me. As we were praying. I prayed and I felt I have prayed enough. I'm sure he has heard my prayer. By now he has forgiven me. But I didn't feel peace. I didn't feel release. I felt that same guilt still upon me. So I said, look, give me a word to comfort my heart. Give me a word to bring back joy into my heart. Please. My sister there was still crying and travailing before God. But I was feeling, I have prayed enough. So because I was not getting any word coming to me, I said, let me do this. Let me just put my Bible like this. And I'm just going to open it wherever my eye falls. <laughs> That's what I'm going to take as his word for me. And dentally, very close. I was very close. This is what the, this is where my, my eye fell as soon as I opened. It was in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14 to verse 15. It says, They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. 
Are they ashamed of their lustsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen, and they will be brought down when I punish them, says wow. the Lord. Yeah. That's the word I received. That's the word I sought out. That's the word that came. My eye fell on that. I was so frustrated, I took my Bible and threw it away. And I began to say, God, I am a sinner beyond what I understand. I don't even know how to repent. And I began to cry out, have mercy upon me. Give me the grace of repentance. Give me the grace of repentance. As I was crying like that, I felt the presence of the Lord come upon me. Now, being a preacher, there are times when you start preaching, then in the middle of the preaching, you feel the presence comes upon you. That's exactly what I felt. And I felt, ah, he's coming to me. But then it increased, then it increased to levels I had never, never experienced before. And soon my heart was scared. I could feel it, it was like a heavy, heavy blanket coming upon me. Then my whole body was trembling, I was sweating. Then I felt like my tongue was swollen within my mouth. I could no longer use my tongue to speak. It was like stuck. I tried to move my body, it was, I could not move any part of my body. It was like I was inside the body, that the body was no longer mine. Then suddenly, a bright light hit my eyes. My eyes were closed. I was on my knees with my head on the ground, but a bright light hit me. And I lifted my eyes to try and see, what is this? I opened my eyes. I couldn't look in the light. It was too bright. Even when I closed, it pierced into my eyes and I bowed my head again and I was trembling and thinking what on earth is going on then I heard a voice deep and calm and he called my name three times I couldn't answer there was no strength in me to answer but in me I was wondering I was saying I'm here and he called me John three times then he said to me I knew you before the creation of the world. And I chose you and set your part to serve me as a witness in these last days. But I want to say to you, if I had come today to take my bride, you wouldn't be part of that. Wow. I wouldn't take you. I can't describe the shock that came upon me. I think I was in shock. I didn't even respond. It was like, to hit me. And he repeated it. He said, I wouldn't take you. For it is written, he will appear to those who wait upon him. Mm. And said, you are not living your life as a person waiting upon me. You are allowing all kinds of filth to come into your life. You are living like one who cares not. At that moment in my heart, as I said, I couldn't speak with my lips. I was feeling, this can't be happening to me. I thought, I gave up my job to serve the Lord. I gave up my house which my father had given me because I wanted to go to the mission field. I gave up this, I gave up that. I, he, he, this can't be God saying to me, he, he wouldn't take me. And all my theology and all my teachings could not accept that. 
And he spoke to me these words written in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He just quoted them. I found them later. I couldn't even remember that they were in the scriptures. But when later on I found them in the scriptures. And it says in verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And he went on to say to me, Your life is so full of filth. You walk with an outward appearance. And you cover a lot of things in your heart. You forget that I'm the Lord who examines the heart. And you are not ready. You are not ready to meet me. And he began to say, your life, if your life is full of this, and this, and this, and this, and this, then are you ready for my appearance? And as he mentioned those things, I could, I could say, okay, Lord, have mercy. Then he mentioned one thing that my heart rejected. Because in my understanding, I had never turned into that. He said, if your life is full of fornication, and everything in me said, oh no, that can't be. I said it in my heart. And the voice stopped. And for a moment there was silence. Then he said to me, there's no crooked word that comes out of my mouth. Do you call me a liar? Mm. I said, but because you don't even know your heart, I will show it to you. Remember this day when you are in this place at this hour. Mm. And brother, sister, I didn't remember. I practically saw myself back in that very moment. Not as a memory, as a reality. I was back in that moment. I saw myself seated in the taxi, waiting for the taxi to be this, like a, a cab to be filled. And then I was looking out at some lady with all kinds of filthy imaginations. And the moment it came back, I said, Oh God, I have sinned against you. He said, No, you have not sinned. You live in sin. You live in that. You live from morning to evening in such imaginations. Even in your bed at night, you indulge in the same. I know every moment of your private life. I know your thoughts. You don't even fear. Even in church, seated in church, someone steps up on the platform to serve me and you strip them naked in your imagination. And you imagine all kinds of things. Says, I am the Lord who examines the heart. Haven't you read that even he who looks upon a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her? And pictures began to pass before me of how my imagination works. And I could see this is not something I could say, Lord, I fell in sin. Lord, I was weak. It was my way of life. 
It was my, it was a constant way of life. I was comfortable in it. And I was comfortable that nobody else could see it, but God was saying, I see it. I am the Lord who examines the heart. I was so ashamed, but then he said, that's not the worst of all. You still live in this. And he began to mention things that appear humanly small. The envy, the manipulation and undercutting one another so that you remain appearing. You are the best. You do the best. You preach better. You do more miracles. You are the more anointed. And all the manipulations and self-promotions all the grudges that we hold in our hearts when we see somebody else being promoted or being recognized before us. But the way the Lord brought it out, it was so filthy. So filthy. And I cried. And I cried. And at some point, I was so intent on just my grief. Then he said, he raised his voice and said, keep quiet and listen. And I kept quiet. And he went on and on and on, just unveiling more things, unveiling more things. Even the things which appear so small, at that moment they appeared so rotten. I felt like I was standing before the judgment seat, with everything being thrown out. And I wanted to say, stop, stop, I accept it all. But he was not stopping. Actually, at some point, I was just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He said, keep quiet. And I was not speaking loudly. I was speaking in my heart. I said, keep quiet and listen. And as he continued, I thought, I must have been deceived. All along, I thought I was serving God. And yet, I'm so filthy inside. I must have been deceived. The devil must have taken my life captive long time ago. And at that moment, I thought of the miracles we were witnessing. I thought of the healings. I thought of all those wonderful things. And suddenly my heart sunk. I thought, the devil has so deceived me that he could even use me to produce counterfeit miracles. To produce things I thought God was working. And yet it was the devil all along. And the voice kept quiet for a moment. Then he said to me. Why are you imagining such thoughts? I said. I don't do miracles because you are worthy. I do miracles because I love my people. Before whom you stand to preach. But haven't you ever read. When they will come to me on that day and say. In your name. We worked miracles. Mm. We cast out demons. And Jeez. prophesied. And yeah. then I'll say to them. Get out of my sight. Mm. You workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Mm. Say don't depend on the miracles. Mm. To assess your worthiness. Your worthiness is not in the signs and wonders you witness in ministry. I do miracles because I love the people. And my name shall never be left without witness on oh. earth. I said, haven't you ever read that without holiness, no one will see God? 
is not the miracles it is the holiness that comes from God then he said to me the scripture in the book of Hebrews when I just got saved just like two days in salvation he gave me the scripture Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9 it says you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness therefore God your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy and I was a new Christian and I had this dream and someone was saying to me this is a gift from the Lord and he gave me that a piece of paper and there was the scripture in the dream then the Lord as he spoke to me in this visitation he said you started well why did you turn you started with your eyes on me but as you became more familiar you turned your eyes on people you stopped seeking my approval you began to seek the approval of men because men don't know the secrets of your heart they kept approving you and showing you how they marveled at your walk but you didn't care about me I know your heart you started well what turned you away why did you take your eyes off me I want you to know that men do not have heaven it's only my father who has heaven and he will judge as a just judge and he will reward every man according to his works he gave me the scripture in the book of revelations chapter 3 it says in verse 1 these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God the seven stars I know your deeds you have a reputation of being alive but you are dead wake up strengthen what remains and is about to die for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God remember therefore what you have received in heart obey it and repent but if you do not wake up I'll come like a thief and you'll not know at what time I'll come to you said to me I've, I've looked at you from beginning to the end and I've found nothing acceptable to my father I give you counsel repent forsake everything that you call valuable give up your dreams give up your rights give up anything that you think is valuable and seek my face humble yourself come without any claims come without anything and just humble yourself I tell you it is worthy to inherit salvation eternal life it's enough it's beyond any other thing you can ever compare with it he, gave, he spoke about that man who saw a treasure in the field and he went and sold everything and came and bought the field he said this is what I counsel you give up give up give up everything you thought was precious and come that I may have mercy upon you if you could truly repent I will bring you back 
and I will restore you and I will make you my mouthpiece. And he said, but listen to this, your friends, I have got a case against each of them. Tell them to repent. Then he began to say, go and tell this one, this is what I see in their lives. And he gave details. Then he said, go tell this one, this is what I see. I don't want to make these preaching issues because they belong to very specific individuals. But he gave, I had about eight partners and he gave me a message for each of them, including the sister who was there with me. When I went back, I called everybody. It was about time for dinner at that time. We were there the entire afternoon. My eyes were swollen from crying. My whole face was swollen. I called everybody and said, look, this is what happened to me. I told them everything concerning me. Then I began to speak to each of them. And it, like, it was like hell broke out. It was wailing and wailing and wailing. Secrets that people thought no one else knew about came out. And suddenly they were confronted with issues that they never thought anybody would know about. They were well hidden inside of their lives and God just put them out there. Nobody ate dinner that day. Nobody had appetite to eat. Nobody slept in their beds that day. All night. It was like the whole world had become too narrow, too small. You would sit in one place to pray and you feel like, I have no peace here. You go to another place and you feel, oh my God, crying loud at one moment, groaning at another moment, whispering at another moment. No one wanted to be near another. If someone came near you, you wanted to walk away. You felt like everything, everything was repulsive. For the first time in my life, I felt there is nothing in this whole world worthy of attention. Mm. Nothing, nothing. And I was just crying, God, if you just give me one more chance, I promise to live for you and for you alone. In the morning, I took my Bible and a small jerry can of water and I said, I'm going to the mountains. If anybody wants to come with me, come, but don't expect me to minister to you. I'm going to seek the Lord for myself. If you want to come, you go seek your God for yourself. So quite a number came with me. Two remained with one of our sisters who was sick. So we went up into the there was a mountain there's a mountain range and we went up as far as we could go, entered into a jungle, we didn't even know who owns the land. And we just went in there, found a place and settled in there. No roof, no shelter. We started praying. Until evening, until morning, until evening, until morning. We only gathered together in the morning and say, Has anyone heard from the Lord? No. Okay. We go back and seek the Lord. I remember after two days of non-stop praying, day and night, I was so tired, so worn out. I put my Bible under my head as a pillow to sleep. And I think I slept, I laid there for about five minutes. And I could hear others groaning, others pleading, and I thought, God, who am I? to sleep when others are groaning and seeking after your face. I had to rise up. I had to keep walking up and down and say, God, have mercy upon us. On the third day, somewhere around midday, we all gathered without anyone beckoning. We came together and 
were praying and it began to rain. Everybody had to protect their Bibles and just stay there crying unto the Lord. And just cry like little children. No words. Just crying and crying and crying. And as the rain stopped, the Spirit of God just came upon us. And the Lord began to speak through one of us. And he was addressing us together, but also addressing us individually. And again, speaking deep, deep things concerning his calling and destiny on each of us. Reminding people of things that happened when they were still infants. Saying, remember this when it happened. Remember when this happened. That was me. Remember when this happened to you. That was me. And suddenly we all realized, we may have got saved when we were grown-ups. But God was showing us, I was with you. Even when you were a kid growing up, remember this, that was me. Remember here, I protected you from that. Why would you turn away from me? And that day, in tears, we recommitted ourselves to the Lord, recommitted ourselves to the Lord. And we just felt the peace of the Lord come upon us. The joy of the Lord return. And we began to praise the Lord and shout to the Lord and just feel the joy of the Lord all over us. But the Lord spoke to me and said, don't stop fasting. Stay in this mode. I'm going to talk to you about my church. Now, about four, five, I think about five days later, I, w- I used to go every day and spend like six hours alone in the banana plantation. And one of those days around 3 p.m. I was alone praying and just pleading mainly about my life and the shock was still in my life. And as I was continuing, suddenly I felt that presence come upon me again. Just as it had happened the previous week. And I, I began to tremble. I was so scared. Because I didn't know what to expect. It continued growing and building up and building up and building up. And my whole body was trembling. Soon I could no longer move any part of my body. I could no longer speak with my lips. My, everything, it was like my whole body was paralyzed. This time I didn't see the light, but I was there trembling and in my spirit I was just worshipping and worshipping and saying, Lord have mercy upon me. Then, I felt like somebody close to me gave a very, very big sigh. Like heaving, oh. Then he spoke. And he began with these words in the book of Isaiah chapter 1. In verse 2 it says, Hear, O heaven, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master and the donkey his owner's manger, but Israel does not know me. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, Children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. And that's the way He started. When He finished those words, there was a pause. I wasn't sure at first, but I felt like somebody's sobbing, somebody's crying. And then He began to speak and said, I will tell you about my people, my church. And He began to talk about the church began to talk about how he paid the full price, how he 
was our atonement, how he paid everything, and how we are set free, how we are supposed to live a completely liberated life, redeemed and fulfilled. I said, but my people, my people have turned away from that. My people have chosen to go back to live in their human lives, their human effort, human desires, human wisdom, and human will. And he just went on describing the things we do in his name, but in our human ways and human effort. And, and I said, my, and my servants, the preachers of the word, have traded their souls for worldly things. So they speak from the worldly spirit. And they comfort my people in their sins. Instead of calling back my people to me, they tell them it's okay. It's okay to live the way they live. He says, many of my people do not know the joy of forgiveness. Because it has never been, they have never been led into deep repentance and total surrender to me. They have been told it's okay to live in self-will and to do whatever they want. And my heart grieves because I see what the enemy is doing to them. He was he quoted Isaiah chapter 1 from verse 5 where it talks about why should you be beaten anymore why do you persist in rebellion your whole head is injured the whole heart afflicted from the sole of your foot to the top of your head there is no soundness only wounded wounds and welts and open sores not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil and I'm saying my people are living in utter woundedness there's a lot of woundedness, there's a lot of pain and bitterness, and therefore people lash out at each other. The people are living in selfishness because of the pain of their lives. And I hurt because my healing is complete. My stripes are able to heal, but my people have settled down to live in their woundedness, in their bitterness, in their hopelessness, and they have been told that is all that salvation is about said I paid for everything it's a finished work but they have chosen to live below it and he went on and on and he said but my heart is is grieving because the day of the Lord is near the day is coming and he began to describe the day and says it's a day of agony it's a day of wailing it's a day that no man can stand uh, for the sake of time, I just want to use some scriptures and just define that day. When the Lord began to talk about the day, I don't know whether I can describe this. You are hearing a voice very clearly speaking, but now it's like you're hearing somebody who is speaking at the same time is crying. And saying, the day is coming and my heart grieves for my people. My people are not ready. My people are not anywhere near readiness and my heart grieves for them I have done everything to set them free I've done everything they don't need any other uh, any other thing but that which was done please go with me to the book of Zephaniah Zephaniah chapter 1 It says in Zephaniah chapter 9, chapter 1 verse 10, On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will go out from the fish gate 
wailing from the new quarter and a loud cry from the hills. Wail, you who live in the market district. All your merchants will be wiped out. All who trade with silver will be ruined. At that time, I will shut Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. Their wealth will be plundered, their houses demolished. They will build houses but not live in them. They will plant vineyards but not drink the wine. The great day of the Lord is near. Near and coming quickly. Listen. The cry of the day of the Lord will be bitter. The shouting of the warrior there. The day will be a day of wrath. A day of distress and anguish. A day of trouble and ruin. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. A day of trumpet and battle cry. Against the fortified cities and against the corner of the towers. I'll bring distress on the people and they'll walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like filth. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy the whole world will be consumed for he will make a sudden end of all who live on the earth. Now, that's just one description of the day of the Lord. When God, when He was describing, sometimes I would see visions. He, the voice was speaking, but I would see visions. I saw one when He said, "The time is coming." You know, when the Lord talks about the day of the Lord, He talks about that final day, that final day of judgment, that final day of reckoning and paying everybody what according to what they did. But the day of the Lord is not limited to that. The day of the Lord is also the very, very last days leading to the end. And those, I don't know how long that period is. It could be years. It could be a few decades. But he was saying the end time, those last days are going to come with a lot of trials. Most of them are going to come following the issue of money. Coming following materialism, the whole issue of survival, they said, if my people will not anchor their faith in me, if they will not completely abandon themselves in me, they will not be able to stand the trials of the last days. Mm-hmm. They will compromise, they will yield to the pressures, especially the financial pressures. And there will be a lot of uh, betrayal in the, in the, both in the church and in the world and in the families, there will be lots of pressure that no human being will be able to stand and says this is why I'm grieving and hurting deep inside my people, I love them I love them and I cannot stand by and watch when the enemy is laying a siege like this and he went on and was crying about if you read in First Thessalonians chapter 5 where again he says in the second in the New Testament he says peace peace they say when there is no peace when they are saying that a great calamity will befall them and none of them will survive but he said but you are not children of destruction you have been called to the eternal life and you have been called to an eternal hope so it was saying everything has been done everything has been paid why would you position yourselves where you would be compromised where you'd be taken over you remember the bible jesus christ came to john the apostle the revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3 and he spoke the message to the churches 
And in each of those messages he said, He who overcomes, I will give this. He who overcomes. And the Lord said, there is overcoming to do. There is standing to stand firm. And when everything has passed, to remain standing. My people need to wake up. Wake up and rise and stand in the full inheritance of what was done on the cross. There is, there, there is power in the cross. There is power in the blood. There is power in the name to make us overcome. We do not need to stand in our own strength and wisdom and effort. But as long as we try to live this life in our wisdom, our strength and effort, human ways, we are going to be swept away. We are going to be compromised. We are going to be gripped with fear. One of the spirits of the end time that Jesus himself spoke and said, Man will, be, will faint with fear. Fear and perplexity. And he went on and said, On that day, every hidden thing of man's heart is going to be revealed. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, Did you see the secrets of your life come out? That's what is going to happen. Every secret thing is going to come out. And I said, this is why I have appeared to you. That I may make you a witness and a voice to the nations. Go into the nations to my people. Those who are called by my name. And say to them, repent and return. Come back to the Lord who died and rose again for you. Forsake the human ways and surrender yourselves completely to him. He spoke then something that he's been speaking to us again in the last few months about fruitfulness and unfruitfulness. He said there's so much being done in the church in the name of the Lord that is without fruit. So much effort, so much investment, very little fruit. He said it's because it's all being done in human effort and human ways. Says my power is sufficient. My spirit is sufficient. He said the greatest sin my people have done, the most painful of all, they have rejected my spirit, and they have called, they have created their own experiences that they call the Holy Spirit. Wow. They create their own sensations and they create impressions that they call my spirit. He says this is the greatest grief of my life. I know that in your power you cannot walk this way. That's why I sent you the helper, the gift of the Father. When you turn away from him, then you turn away from hope. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living waters, and have dug their own cisterns. Broken systems that cannot hold water. Is Israel a servant, a slave by birth? Why then has he become plunder? This is basically what the Lord is saying of the church. Is the church supposed to be a slave to the powers of the world, the powers of the devil, the powers of sin and the flesh? Haven't we been redeemed? Hasn't he paid the price? Hasn't he released the power of the Holy Spirit to make us overcome us? Why then have we become plunder? And all God is calling upon us is not so much about repent of the actions or the wrong acts. He's saying, 
Come away from your human ways. Come away. Take my life. It is free. Live in my ways. Live like one who has ceased to live for himself and is now living to the one for the one who died and rose again for him. Adopt the life that was sent from heaven into the earth with a mission. He said, as my father sent me, so do I send you. Yeah. And it says clearly, we can no longer live for ourselves, but to live for him who died and rose again for us. Amen. Brother, sister, there's no human effort that will ever fulfill the standard of the Lord. Mm. No. Not yeah. even the most sincere effort. Mm-mm. And when we surrender ourselves and walk in that covenant love of God, He does within us exceedingly, abundantly above what we can ask or even imagine. Mm-hmm. He makes us overcomers beyond our imaginations. Mm-hmm. Where we would fail and turn back when a heart is committed and say, God, I am all yours. My life is no longer mine. My life belongs to Christ. I will live for no other reason but to fulfill the purposes of God. And I will live for no other law but the law of love, unconditional love. When we commit ourselves to that and say every other consideration, I'm dead to that. God sustains us even in our weaknesses. Where our faith would fail. Where our hope in our own selves would fail. Where I would think, I can't do this. The grace comes around us. And somehow we see ourselves being re-energized. Our faith renewed. We look back and we know if it was my own strength, my decision, I know I would have fallen there. But somehow his hand sustained me and brought me through. Sustained me. The Lord said to me, one of the greatest, greatest temptations of the last days is going to be the spirit of immorality. Mm. Say the enemy knows every other sin. You can read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Every other sin committed by by men is outside their bodies. Mm. But the sin of fornication and adultery is inside the body. It makes you one with the adulterer mm. and said it destroys it corrupts and defiles the temple of the Lord Said, but in the last mm. days this is going to be one sin that is going to be pervading like a storm it will go through the nations and it is going to become more and more accepted even in the church mm. immorality perversions and all mm. kinds of sexual sin says warn my people warn my people flee from evil flee from wickedness I'll read this last scripture Zephaniah chapter 2 Zephaniah chapter 2 from verse 1 to 3 it says gather together Gather together, O shameful nation, before the appointed time arrives and the day sweeps on like chaff, Mm. before the fierce anger of the Lord comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. Seek the Lord, O you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, 
Seek humility. Perhaps you will be shouted on the day of the Lord's anger. Beloved, the time is short. He who comes is coming soon. And is calling us to himself. I remember he said to me, the day is not a day of joy even to him. Mm. He says, my heart is torn apart when I think of my people who will be pulled away on that day. That's why I'm crying out, return to me, return to me. He says, I'm sending you, don't judge my people, don't condemn them, tell them I am not condemning them. I call them to return to me. Flee from the wrath that is coming on the day of the Lord. Flee from the power of, of powers of darkness that are seeking to take you captive. Flee from your own self, yeah. your own carnal nature. Flee. There Flee. is refuge in the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous yeah. run into it. And they yeah. are safe. Yeah. I want to pray that God will bring revelation to your heart beloved there is a responsibility to overcome he said he who overcomes I will give to sit in my throne just as I overcame and I sat in my father's throne I'm going to ask you one thing I don't know what you have taken from this sharing I know one thing that there is a destiny in your life. You are not an accident on earth. You are not here just to drift along with the masses. There is a destiny. Before you were born, before you were in your mother's womb, he knew you. Before you were born, he set you apart. There is a destiny. There is a purpose to fulfill in the years remaining in your life. If you can be like Paul to say, whatever was precious to me, I call it loss. And I called lost every other thing that I may pursue him, that I may win him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and be conformed even to his death. Let us come to that place of abandonment where you say, God, the rest of my life, I just want one thing, to lay hold of that for which you laid hold of me. I want to lay hold of that for which you laid hold of me. Forgive me for the past. Thank you that you don't condemn me. But today I turn around. I lay down my human life, my human wisdom, my human endeavors, my efforts. I choose to live in the life of Christ. I choose to live in the faith that I am dead and he is alive. If you feel like that today, I'm going to ask you to rise into your faith. I'm going to ask you to just come before the Lord in humility. Man, there was a lot um, from that message that I am going to take and Genesis chapter 22, I'm going to begin 
at verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it, bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place. The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Hey, as you go to your seat, look at somebody and tell them, God is trying to show you off. You may be seated. God is trying to show you off. Most of us are probably familiar with that wonderful book, A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. If you're not familiar with the whole thing, you are familiar with that portion where he says it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. What Dickens was doing there was using a gadget within language and prose and poems and poetic verse that we call paradox. And what Dickens was trying to say very poetically, but in reality, is that life must be lived out in the existential understanding of the manifestation of paradoxes as you journey. What he was trying to get us to understand is that life is not the worst of times and then the best of times, or the best of times and then the worst of times. But every now and then, what Dickens was putting forth for us is the reality that all of us have to spend seasons living with unresolved polarities.
the, the sense of living with contradictions. That life that is lived, sometimes it's the best and the worst at the same time. That, that life that is lived in authentic faith is lived in some seasons with glaring contradictions. It can be the best of times and the worst of times at the same time. Best of times, you got a job. Worst of times, you can't pay all your bills. Best of times, you have a house. Worst of times, it looks like a nightmare on Elm Street. You can live life with the best of times and the worst of times at the same time. And th that's what happens in this very familiar story. God commands Abraham to sacrifice his son, watch, yet promising that the covenant would continue through that same son. It, it's a test of Abraham's faith, the ability to live with the paradox of a promise given by God and God seeming to go back on the promise while trusting that God hasn't gone back on the promise. I said it too fast. It's the story of faith that has to affirm the promise of God while managing a problem that seems to wipe out the promise without believing that the promise got wiped out. Um, it, just, just one chapter earlier, God had assured Abraham that it would be through Isaac that the offspring would come to make the promise of chapter 12 come true. And then one chapter later, after reaffirming the promise, God orders Abraham to sacrifice that son, threatening the very promise God just reaffirmed. Here it is. God gives these instructions. Take your only begotten son whom you love. And when you get to the top of the mountain, I will show you. I want you to kill him. I want you to get the picture. God promises him a son. Gives him the son. And now asks for the son. Here's the question. How do you deal with God's promises? When God seems to force you into a reality that seems to be canceling the very promise God made. And that, that's a lesson we need to hear because like Abraham, we get tested with paradoxes and glaring contradictions where the promise that God makes doesn't match the world that we see, Jesus. This, this, this is a test, watch me, about being faithful to God when God seems to be going against himself. Can you be faithful to God when God seems to no longer be faithful to you? God, help me preach this. Can, can you be faithful to God when God seems to no longer be faithful to the word he spoke over your life? He spoke that you would be prosperous and yet you're broke. He spoke that you would be healthy and yet you're sick. He spoke that you would be promoted and yet you're still where you are. I know I'm messing with somebody's theology right through in here. How do I praise God and how do I main, remain faithful to God when God seems to be going against the very promise God made to me in my life. How do I hold on to my faith when God doesn't seem to be holding on to his word? 
it, it takes faith and patience to inherit what God has promised you. See, see, that's why you have to establish your faith in the promise so that you're able to handle the challenges that will come in the process because it is in the process where the enemy shows up. Because the enemy knows he can't do anything about the promise that's in God's hands. But the walking of the process is in your hands. So he shows up in the process to try to mess with your faith to make you forfeit the promise. Because he knows the promise is always there. But if he can shake you in the process, you'll walk away and miss what God has for your life. See, here's what the enemy knows about us. We hate process. That's all right. Y'all ain't got to shout right now. Give me 10 minutes and we'll run. Um, we, we, we don't like process. It, it's in the process where you are matured. It's in the process where you are groomed. It's in the process where your character is formed. It's in the process where God develops us to have the shoulders to carry the weight of the assignment. Because sometimes your gift for the assignment is bigger than the shoulders of your maturity. So God's got to put you through a process to work on your shoulders so that you can carry the weight of the assignment. Would you look at somebody and tell them, I'm in the process. That was the wrong neighbor. Turn to somebody else and tell them, I'm in the process. And if I just remain faithful to the process, God's going to make the promise come true. Y'all sit down, sit down, sit down. The, the, the process is necessary. And he knows we don't like process. Because we haven't figured out God will not promote you until you pass the test of the process. Here it is. If you're going to work the process, Bishop Joby, you need strong faith and long faith. Yeah, Y'all ain't happy. I'll be back in five minutes. You need strong faith and long faith. Strong faith is when you declare, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Strong faith is when you declare, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. But long faith is when the weapon shows up and you hold on. Long faith is when the weeping comes but you still got your joy long faith is when the money ain't there but you believe God's gonna pay it is there anybody in here who can say I got long faith long faith says they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their long faith says weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning I'm looking for the long faith folk who can say no matter how long it takes I'm gonna stay right here until I get what God promised me. Sit, sit down. Sit down. Long faith. Long faith. Yes. Long faith. Yes. God, God works on your long faith in the process of the test. Matter, uh, uh, Rabbi Mordecai Kaplan blessed me with this. Mordecai Kaplan said that in Judaic understanding, the word test is really the word banner. Um, Mordecai Kaplan said that uh, 
we have Americanized this Judaic concept of test. And we think of test as pass or fail. He said in Judaic understanding of who Yahweh was, test was the word banner. It was as if God was holding a banner over your head, Jesus, describing, yes, how much confidence he had in you. Y'all didn't get it. Y'all didn't get it. That when they understood that when God was testing you, it was God putting a banner over your head to characterize to everybody, this is my child, and I know they're going to pass the day. Y'all didn't get it yet. When God starts testing you, he's doing what he did with Job when Satan said if you take everything he'll curse you to your face and God put a banner over Job's head and said do whatever you want to do to him and I guarantee you he will not curse me I don't know who I came for today but you feel like you're in a shaking season you feel like you're in a testing season you feel like you're in a pruning season and God sent me all the way to Frisco to tell you God ain't punishing you he's showing you off God's not trying to whip you he's showing you off there's a banner over your head and it says endurance there's a banner over your head and it says worshiper there's a banner over your head and it says patient there's a banner over your head and it says my child would you look at three people and tell them God's just showing you off you ain't sick you're being showed off you ain't unemployed, you're being showed off. You're not broke, you're being showed off. Because God wants the world to know that he's got some people who will say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I tell you to throw your head back and just, yeah, show me off, God. I know I've been complaining, but show me off. I know I've been crying, but show me off. I know I've been whining, but show. Come on, encourage free people and tell them he's just showing you off. He's just showing you off. He's just showing you to the devil. He's just showing you to your haters. He's just showing you to your naysayers. He's just showing you. Come on, say it one more time. Show me off. So don't you reject the process. Don't you whine in the process. Praise your way through the process. Smile your way through the process. Because God's just showing. That's what God's been doing with this church for 13 years, just showing y'all off. Every time you had to move to a new building, showing y'all. Every time people counted y'all off, showing y'all. You ought to give God a praise that for 13 years, through ups and downs, ins and outs, God's been showing this place. Now. Only got three more times to tell you. Sit down. <laughs> he's, show, he's showing you off. How do I manage this process so I don't mess up what God's trying to show off? 
What's my part in the process? So I don't not only mess up what God's trying to show off, but I don't mess up where God's trying to take me. Yes. Let me just give you a couple of principles and I'll be out your way. Here's the first thing. You've, you've got to understand the powerful partnership of purpose and place. Mm, purpose, yes, and place. There, there's an assignment on the life of everybody in here. But what we often miss is with assignment comes placement. You take notes. Every assignment is tied to a place. Ooh. And the manifestation of the assignment is tied more to a place than it is to your gift. Uh, Abraham, watch it. Leave that place and go to a place I will show you. And at that place, sacrifice your son. Hear me. Assignment and purpose that you were born to fulfill tied to being in the right place. Blessings always tied to a place. Fulfillment is always tied to a place. Success is always tied place matters come here Joseph had a vision but had to get to a place for it to come to manifestation Jonah had been instructed to go to Nineveh and God wouldn't do it till he got to the place Ruth left Moab and followed her mother-in-law Naomi back to Bethlehem where she met Boaz place Esther raised by Mordecai but when God got ready to bless her God moved her into the palace place Mary was pregnant but could not give birth to Jesus until she got to Bethlehem place Jesus came to die for the sins of the world but it couldn't happen till he got to Calvary everything is to us. And your purpose only works when you are connected to the right place. Some of y'all not going to like what I'm about to say because sometimes a thing isn't working not because you're not called to do it but because you're trying to do a right thing in a wrong place. Come on, would you look at somebody and tell them, stick with your place. Stick, stick with your place. Yeah. Going to the region of Moriah, watch me now. In the region of Moriah, there were many mountains. And so that meant that Abraham would pass some mountains that were larger than others. Some mountains uh, that were more spacious than others. Uh, but he couldn't stop at one that looked more spacious. He couldn't stop at one that looked bigger. He could only go to the one God was sending him to. Whatever you do, don't you leave your place place because the devil is going to try everything he can to get you out of place but look at somebody again tell them stay in place here's my question can you be faithful to the place God sends you even when there appears to be something bigger in proximity to you can you stay where God placed you even when something bigger is all around you because the blessing ain't tied to being in the bigger place it's tied to being in the right place and the right place may not be the bigger place, but it's your place. You may not have the biggest house, but it's your house. You may not have the fanciest car, but it's your car. You may not have the designer clothes, but it's your clothes. Is there anybody in the potter's house who can say, God, thank you for my place? I'm not jealous.
because of anybody else's. I don't want anybody else's because I know my blessing is at my Gotta be tied to a place. All y'all watching online, you need a place. You need a place. For all of you in here who haven't chosen a church, you better find this place. Y'all ain't ready because you, your blessing doesn't happen till you get to the right. Y'all a good class, right? Right place. And can I tell you something else the Lord showed me, and this is going to bless me. Huh. Sometimes the new place of opportunity starts with a journey in obscurity. What you say, Bishop? Obscurity. Um, go to the region of Moriah, to a mountain I will show you. Um, put a pin. Put a pin there. Let me park parenthetically. To a mountain I will show you. But I'm not going to show you till you go. Because God always gives you more as you go than he does when you start. Y'all don't like that. God sometimes wants to see, can you be faithful to a word? (laughs) When he's not giving you any evidence of where it's taking you. Now, ain't nobody talking now. Can you be faithful to follow directions and instructions without any evidence of where it's going to end up. He, he, he says, to the region, it's about to get good, to the region, to a mountain I will show you. Then Abraham says to the men, y'all stay here. we going over there to the region. So they leave off going into the woods and the mountains into obscurity where nobody will see them and nobody will know where they're going, Jesus. There's something to be said when you have the capacity and wherewithal to do something like be obedient in seasons of obscurity. I knew y'all weren't going to shout on this point, but next point we're going to run all through the lobby. Because I knew you weren't going to shout on this point because in this modern day culture of social media, obscurity is a four-letter curse word. Nobody wants to be obscure. We, We all want the world to see and know who we are and what we are up to and social media is so keenly aware of our infatuation with popularity that they've even created filters that you can add to create a false narrative about who you really are they, they even have people who advertise on social media about paying them in order to boost your followers because nobody likes to be obscure we all want the front row We all want our name called. We all want people to know I did that. I want to suggest to you today that before you are ready for usability, you got to let God prepare you in obscurity. I'm coming to get about five of y'all. See, that's why you have to be careful how you look at and judge people. Because you might be sitting next to somebody that has a prophecy over their life to do something great. You just can't tell it right now because they are on their way to the region of Moriah. Be careful how you judge people because just like they don't look like 
like they got it now. They're just in their season of obscurity. You ought to push on somebody. If you know greatness is on your life, if you know there's an anointing on your life, if you know there's purpose on your life, but you haven't walked into it yet, would you push your neighbor and tell them, don't judge me right now. I'm just in obscurity. Come on, if you know God has anointed you to be a business owner, if you know God has anointed you to be a homeowner, if you know God has anointed you for something great, but you don't look like you walking in it yet, push your neighbor and tell them, don't you judge me right now. God just has me in obscurity. But if I'm faithful in my obscurity, he's going to walk me into my opportunity because I know how to be faithful when ain't nobody else looking. You know what you ought to do. You ought to shout for yourself that you've been faithful in obscurity. You ought to hug yourself that you haven't been concerned about popularity. You just let God use Who am I talking to? Where are my obscure people? Who can say folk don't even know what God's doing with me? People don't have a clue what God's preparing in me. People don't have a clue how God's fixing me. See, that's why you got to refuse to let the devil get the upper hand. Because he's trying to stop you before that anointing and you catch up with each other. You are in obscurity right now. But God said be faithful. Obscurity. I've got an anointing to manage obscurity. I've got a faith to handle obscurity. I don't know who I feel that heavy in my spirit right through in here. Some of y'all been worried because people haven't recognized you yet. and They haven't recognized your gift yet. and They haven't recognized what God's doing with you yet. God told me to tell you, it's not time for your recognition. You're just in your obscurity. But when God gets ready to bring you out, everybody's going to know it without you opening up your mouth. When you walk in the room, anointing will show up. When you walk in the room, glory will show up because you handled your obscure. Here's the next. Here's the next thing. Um, you've got to. Oh, this is about to get bad. No, this is about to get real bad. You've got to resolve to be resilient. <laughs> Let me hear you say resilient. I, I think, I know we call Abraham the father of the faith. And, uh, but I believe that Abraham's greatest gift was his resilience. A made up mind. Um, I, I don't believe I've heard this preached so many times and sometimes we preach it from such a um, upper echelon spirituality that we, we miss it. I, I don't believe Abraham ignored the terror of this situation. I don't, no, 
I don't believe he was walking around well. I got to kill my son. Praise the Lord. Right. I don't believe that. I don't believe Abraham was walking around. With, uh, I just got the son, but God wanted me to kill him. Hallelujah. Mm-mm. I don't believe he ignored the pain or the uncertainty of what he was ordered to do. Because your anointing never dismantles your humanity. He, he just refuses to surrender to the fear. He refuses to allow the situation to undermine his faith in God and the promise God made. He refuses to abandon hope in the face of this crazy reality. And when you make up your mind not to abandon your hope when all hell is breaking loose in your life, that's resilience. When, when you can't change it, but you refuse to let it change you. Woo! That's, that's resilient. Can I show y'all how he was resilient? Now do me one favor. Do me one favor. Uh, just in case your neighbor does not know you by name, I need you to give him your name because you, you about to step on their toes. You might slap them accidentally in the face. And, and I don't want nobody to cuss in the part of the house. So just give your neighbor your name because if this is you, it's about to get mighty dark in here because uh, he was resilient in two ways. He, he was resilient in his worship. Mm. Watch what he says. He says, he says, uh, the boy and I are going over there to worship. Hmm. Stop. Stop right there. Now, right before that, they said, yes, that they carry the fire, the wood, and the knife. Jesus is about to get bad. And he tells his servants, the boy and I are going over there to worship. Hmm. Uh, to worship, they carry fire, wood, and knife. Jesus. And carrying the fire, the wood, and the knife, they go to worship. Y'all ain't got it yet. Fire that burns you. Knife that cuts you. Wood that lays you down. And Abraham said, the boy and I, Jesus, are carrying the fire, the wood, and the knife and we're going to worship the wood that would be used to sacrifice him, the, the knife that would be used to cut and kill him, the fire that would be used to burn him. And he says, we're carrying all of that and we're going to worship. Y'all didn't get it yet. The, the, the fire that would be used to burn his son, the knife that would be used to kill his son, the wood that would be used to sacrifice his son. And he says, we're carrying all of that and we're going to worship. I'm coming for you. Sometimes you have to go to worship carrying stuff that has the potential to kill you. Sometimes you've got to go to worship carrying the stuff that has the potential to cut you. Sometimes you've got to go to worship carrying stuff that has the potential to depress you. Sometimes you've got to go to worship carrying the things that have the potential to destroy you. Y'all ain't helping me in here. What happens when God makes you carry stuff that could kill you? Sometimes you got to carry things that have the potential to kill you or make you lose your mind. Can I tell you why some of y'all should run around this room and lose your mind? Sometimes you got to shout that with everything you're carrying, you still got to worship. Who am I talking to now? Somebody ought to give him a shout because with everything.
thing you're carrying, you made up in your mind, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises will be in my mouth. Shake your neighbor's hand and tell him you're carrying it well. That was the wrong neighbor. Turn on the other side and tell him, I didn't even know you were carrying that. Because you carry it with class. You're carrying it with sophistication. You're carrying it with a smile. You're carrying it with joy. You're carrying it with a praise on your lips. You're carrying it with a clap in your hand. I'm looking for my resilient worshipers who are mired down. Stress on one side. Anxiety on the other side. Disease in your body. No money in the bank. Friends are few. Children are crazy. Spouse is crazier. And with everything you carry, you woke up this morning saying, This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Come on and give God glory. Because you're carrying some stuff that should have taken you out. You're carrying some stuff that should have made you lose your mind. But you woke up this morning with your mind. <laughs> Stayed on Jesus. I want you to find three people and tell them you have no idea the stuff I've been carrying. You have no idea the knife that's in my back, the fire that's on my body. You have no idea the hell I caught all week. You have no idea the struggle I had going to sleep. But I'm going to give God a shout today because with everything I'm carrying, I still got my worship. With everything I'm carrying, I'm still giving God glory. With everything I'm carrying, I'm still giving God praise. I want all the carriers today to open up your mouth and say, God, I thank you for the grace to carry it. God, I thank you for the anointing to carry it. God, I thank you for the time I've given. And I came to serve notice. I got a generational anointing. He's not just going to give you grace to carry it, but your children will carry it. Your grandchildren will carry it. Nothing will take them out. Nothing will take them down. They're going to carry it and keep their... Come on, encourage somebody. Tell them, keep on carrying it. Keep on carrying it. You won't have to carry it much longer. You're almost to the mountain. You won't have to carry it much longer. You're almost... Throw your head back and just say, I'm carrying it. Oh, you didn't yell like you meant it. I'm carrying it. Serve notice on the devil that you're going to carry it and keep your praise. Because by the spirit of heaviness, by the spirit of heaviness, 
praise and carry it. Carry it, carry it, carry it, carry it, carry it. I'm talking to some parent. You carrying your children. I'm talking to some grandmama. You're carrying your grandchildren. I'm talking to some spouse. You're carrying your spouse. But God has given you the grace to carry it without losing your mind. To carry it without going into depression. To carry it without going into discouragement. So give it praise. I'm carrying it, but I'm worship. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. He says, we go. He wasn't just resilient in his worship. He was resilient in his witness. He says, y'all stay here. The boy and I are going to worship. And we will be back. We're going over there to worship. We will be back. Words are things that enter the world through our mouth. Sometimes you got to declare some stuff that don't make sense. Because I'm trying to figure out how y'all going to be back. When God just told you to kill him, but you... You gonna carry him back on your shoulder? And I said, no, because they got fire to burn him up. You gonna carry the ashes back? What you mean? We will be back. What you mean? And the text doesn't tell us, but if I were to use my exegetical insight between the lines of the paragraph, I just believe Abraham saying, God is not a man. That he said, I thought I had Bible reading to there. I believe he said, I don't know what God going to do when we get up there, but I know what God promised me. And since I know God don't go back on his promises, I don't know how he's going to work it out, but we will be back. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to become a prophet over your own life. And I want you to put on your mind something the devil's trying to take, something life is trying to snatch. And I want you to open your mouth and we will be back. No, you didn't say, my joy will be back. My peace will be back. My money will be back. My business will be back. My child will be back. My marriage will be back. My sanity will be back. Yeah, we will be. Can I I tell you? Can I tell you how you know? Because Isaac said, he said, hey, Pop, I see the fire, see the wood, I don't see no lamb. Abraham said, don't worry about that. The Lord will provide. Hold on. Mordecai Kaplan said, once again, you Americans messed that up. He said, the Lord will provide is really not the proper translation of even Jehovah Jireh. It's a subtle difference. 
but it makes all the difference in the world. He said it doesn't mean the Lord will provide. It means the Lord will see to it. I need you to look at somebody with every prophetic unction in your mouth. And I need you to tell them, I don't know how rough it is for you right now. But God is going to turn it around. And he will see to it. That was the wrong neighbor. Turn all the way around and tell somebody, it's all going to come back. And the Lord will see to it. You ain't going to have to hook and crook. You ain't going to have to kiss nobody's behind. You ain't going to have to lower your standards. You ain't going to have to steal. The Lord will see. I'm done. Come on, throw your head back and just yell, see to it, Lord. Oh, you ain't say it like you really meant it. I need you to put your faith on it and just yell, see to it, Lord. See about my child. See about my marriage. See about that tumor in my body. See about my business. See to it, Lord. I'm done. I'm done. I promise you I'm done. I ain't even going to tell you to sit down no more. I'm out of time. I'll return. Watch this. So they get up there. We know the story. He gets the knife up. And uh, right when he's getting ready to bring the knife down, this ethereal emissary from eternity called an angel says, says, Abraham, hold up. Now, the easy preach of that would be just in the nick of time. That's the easy preach. But let me tell you. Pastor Cheryl, how the Lord blessed me. I was in my hotel room. It was a while ago. And uh, I'd already preached this sermon, but then the Lord flipped it on me. I, I'm a nerd. I know I look like I got swag. <laughs> but I, I'm a nerd. So I watch all kinds of crazy channels. And I was in a hotel room, and the Animal Planet was on. And there was this documentary on about biblical topographies. The topography of the land. And so I got interested. I was watching. And they started talking about this story. And that's something we miss in the real miracle. We know that he looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket. Thickets are a certain kind of bush. Here's what messed me up. Thickets don't grow on top of mountains. Thickets grow on the bottom of the mountain. Rams don't run on the top of the mountain because they are not anatomically designed to be able to handle the altitude. So rams run on the bottom or on the side, but never on the top. Y'all ain't got it yet. The stuff he saw on the top are things that should only be on the bottom. But because he was faithful to God, God flipped the script and reversed the order. And stuff that ought to be on the bottom, God started letting it be up top. I don't know who I came to talk to, but I came to tell somebody today, your bottom days are over. God's about to put you on the top where it looked like you don't belong. God's about to put you on the top where it looked like you don't have what it takes. See, here's what the Lord said to me. I used to think I was Abraham, and I used to think I was Isaac. But when I watched that documentary, Joby, I said, I'm not Abraham, and I'm not Isaac. Sometimes 
I'm the ram. What ought not be on the top, but God elevates me anyhow. What ought to be on the bottom, but God elevates me anyhow. I got to get out of here, but I, 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 I need somebody to stand on your feet and tell your neighbor God's about to reverse it. He's about to flip the script. And I, 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 high five your neighbor and tell your neighbor, neighbor, this is the season where God's going to reverse things. You don't have the credit, but you're going to get the house. You don't have the degree, but you're going to get the job. You don't have the experience, but you're going That's not who they're worshiping. That's that's not who they're 
depending on and teaching the people to, to depend on. Yeah, we got to be real careful. Oh, that thing touched me right there. Oh, yeah, we got to be real careful but because I often teach carnal can't uh, please spiritual. Our natural flesh can't please God. If we're going to worship him, it's got to be in spirit and in truth. If we're going to walk with him, we got to walk with him spiritually. Can't walk with him naturally. And that's what's happening. Folks setting things up and doing things. And then tell me it's the Holy Ghost. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. It might be a Holy Ghost, but it's not the Holy Ghost. I promise you that. Yeah, and you know the difference. Yeah, you know the difference. So we have to be careful. And I, I'm telling you, we can't make our own way. And we can't say that, oh, God, he he don't have no problem with this. Or we don't even consider what he think about it. I heard him say, be ye holy, for I am holy. Yeah, we got to go back to the drawing board many days. Many days you got to go back to that first place and come back. Because you done stepped too far over to the left. And, and want to drag God. He's not in that. That's you. And whatever you're doing, and it never ends right. It'll never end right because that's your flesh. That's not God. Hallelujah. I just had to throw that in there right quick. Listen, I'm going to pray us out, and we pray the Lord bring us back tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and tomorrow we're going to do Testify Friday. Yeah, we'll do Testify Friday tomorrow. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Anyone have anything they would like to say? We have a few minutes uh, before I close out. All right. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for all that has been said and done. And Father, today, as we depart, stir up the gifts in us. And Lord, let us take true self-inventory of ourselves. Lord, let us take a look at us. And if we find anything that shouldn't be, Lord, help us to bring it to you with our whole heart asking to be delivered, asking that you would clean us up. Lord, we ask today that you would make us like your son, Jesus, that, God, we would please you. We would work in the vineyard. We wouldn't be anxious. We wouldn't be in a rush for nothing. But, God, taking our time to do what's pleasing and acceptable unto you. Bring every call and every listener before you this morning. Those coming through the archives and the podcast. And Father, I ask that you would bless every household represented here. Every family member near and far. Every friend near and far today. Bless those that are working, God. You know what they stand in the need of today. Lord, I ask that you would fix it for them this weekend. Lord, as we head to end another week, this week went by fast, Father, and I thank you for it. Bless, Lord, in a mighty way this day. Bless our going out and our coming in. Again, meet the need in our lives according to your riches and glory by your son, Christ Jesus. Father, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen and hallelujah. May the Lord watch between me and thee while we are absent one from another. In the name of Jesus, go today in love and peace, share the good news of Jesus, and give someone something of quality. God loves a cheerful giver. Have a blessed day. I speak the blessings.
of Almighty God upon you today, January the 25th, 2024, in Jesus' name. So at this time, I'm going to say bye-bye. Have a blessed day, a blessed day. We're not going to the last song of the morning. My God, get us ready for the judgment. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.